Hey gang, welcome to episode 25 of the No Persinium podcast, your podcast about immersive and interactive theater and its ilk. I'm your ghost host, Noah Nelson, the founder of uh, No Persinium. This week is our Halloween episode, uh, although I understand most of you will listen to it probably after Halloween. Uh, we've got John Schnitzer, who is the director of Haunters, a documentary about haunted houses, which will be coming out next year. We had an awesome conversation right here at Nopro headquarters, and we're going to share that. Also on the uh, podcast today is going to be my housemate, uh, Priscilla Spencer, who is a writer and uh, an amazing map maker. Um, which hopefully will come in handy for me one day. Uh, she, she's a, an incredible person, and she happens to have been to a couple of the extreme haunts that John talks about, and I decided to have her on because I haven't been to the extreme haunts. In fact, my one uh, haunt-related experience was the alone experience, and I talk, I, I was just, I think I just was in there like a couple of nights before we recorded it, so I talk a little bit about it in this episode of the podcast. Um Let's get down to the news and notes. We've got a new episode. Episode. We've got a new issue of the LA No Pro that just came out. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that just happened or will have just happened. And uh, by the time you listen to this, like uh, Alarian Players' Kiss of Death or uh, Los Angeles Performance Practice starting their free advice series at the Ace Hotel, uh, that stuff will have already occurred, but definitely check out the um, the newsletter to find out the details there, particularly about free advice, because Miranda Wright is giving out free advice, and if you're in LA and you're looking to produce things, make some theater, experimental theater of any kind, experimental performance, immersive theater, um, Miranda Wright is a great person to know, and so is Rachel Scandling, uh, their LA performance practice, and uh, they help put on... Uh, the day shall declare it. So maybe uh, go talk to them for free. It happens again in December. Hopscotch is starting up. You probably know what that is by now. We've got uh, Lost Angels Rise of the Wraiths happening on Halloween itself. Uh, Victoria, the founder of uh, Lost Angels, a creator there, has offered us a uh, code special, Immerse Me, all one word, Immerse Me, uh, $5 off your ticket if you are a listener or a reader of NoPro. Um, and as I noted in the newsletter, this is something that uh, we were offered. We do not go out and hunt these down. Uh, this is not my way of saying that like, oh, it's not worth it. Do not think that at all. Uh, but I just want to be very, very, very clear that there is there is nothing that gets in this newsletter or on this podcast that at the very least we don't say that sounds awesome. That's the entire rubric. If someone came along with something and said, I want to give you guys uh, 50% off uh, to uh, stand in a mud hole with me while I, while I shovel, shovel uh, cat feces at you, I would say, no. Mind you, that's a very extreme example. Um, but if it isn't cool, or if it at least doesn't sound cool, and Lost Angels, to me, sounds very cool. Uh, we would not accept a discount on it. So there you go. Um, we get no money from it. This is the fact. Um, speaking of money, <laughs> horrible transition here. And and here's my, this is, you'll hear, you know, my working class ethos come out. There's a really cool sounding pop-up dinner event happening called Antebellum Voodoo Noir. And it's just really expensive. It's 333 bucks for the basic or $666 for the full-on. But this is like a, a huge tasting menu. What is it? Like six-course tasting menu, interactive theater, performance art, 
wonderfulness. Hey, you know what? Sometimes you do something for the blue bloods because that's how you make your money as an artist. So more power to you guys for doing antebellum voodoo noir. And if you are the kind of person who can do that, uh, who can spend the money on it, go for it. Check it out. Let us know how it is. I'm kind of jealous. Um, I can't do either of the nights. It's the 13th and 14th of next month because transition, I'm up in San Francisco seeing Hinge, which is the interactive circus that Vespertine Circus is putting on. Um, You might want to check that out while you are in the Bay Area, all of our Bay Area listeners. You probably already are. Let me just be honest. If you're listening to this and then you're in the Bay Area, you, you almost certainly are getting tickets to Hinge. And I'll see you there on the 14th, uh, just like at the hollow. Hey, uh, I did see a couple of folks at the hollow. That was great. That was just last night. And I'm going to write up notes about it. Uh, I had fun. The food was way better than I was expecting. And I even like Golden Road's food. So um, to be pleasantly surprised at a place where you already like the food is kind of fantastic. And it was, um, it's it's one of uh, the Speakeasy Society's broad entertainments as they view it, uh, and it's it's not trying to do the same sort of stuff that the Stronger or Johnny does. It's trying to be entertaining. I mean, it's on a certain level, it is dinner theater, as Julian just uh, you know pointed out to me. And um, there's there's a different set of challenges there, and I thought they approached them as always in a very intelligent way. Um, and I also have some notes on on sort of how I hope the company evolves, um, but I, I do want to make. I guess this is the rant part. If we're out of news, we're into notes. Um, you know, I take the critic thing seriously um, because I do have creative bones in my body. And uh, frankly, I hate getting criticism that isn't empathetic, that isn't trying to see what I'm trying to accomplish, and that just sort of takes the viewpoint of the editor, the reader, the critic, and tries to smash it against what it is that I'm trying to put out into the world. Um, I always see communication as a two-way street, and I always see every act of art as an act of communication. Culture is communication. Is literally my motto, because I'm a sad person who has a motto. And, uh, I'm not kidding, guys, it is. Uh, I, I get embarrassed, um being in the, the, the semi-public eye as, as a critic figure because I feel like I'm expected to have an opinion about everything. And um, sometimes it takes a little time to process. And sometimes, um, and it's, it's never straightforward, right? There's, there's rarely the case where, oh, yeah, that's not true. There's plenty of times where I like run out of something. I'm like, oh my God, it was incredible. Um, but give me five minutes and I can find something wrong with it, right? I mean, that's just the way my brain works. But wrong should go in quotes because it might be that it doesn't land with me or it might be that I can tell that something's not quite baked. Um, There was an interesting moment at the hollow last night where I saw Julianne and Genevieve, the founders and the directors of the Speakeasy Society. I saw them conferring with their principal actors um, during the run of the show. And I was like, oh, is there something wrong with the dinner service? Is is, some, is something timing not wrong or not right? Um, and and Julianne later told me, yeah, no, I caught that. Um, and and that's another thing that's weird for me. It's like I know everybody, right? Like I can I can tell when something's up because I've seen the gears. Uh, so that sort of stuff kind of like can can pull me out. 
but then it becomes like a higher level of difficulty. I really am going off. I'm sorry, because it's a long episode. I'll shut up in five seconds here. Um, it's getting harder for me to let myself go in immersives when I know the people involved. And that's a lot on me for having dug myself into this community in the way that I have. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is from here on out, you should always take what I'm saying as a critic with that grain of salt in that I now have a special problem of having to overcome my disbelief because I know who's involved and I have to be playing along, which also means that in those moments when I am taken away from that hyper self-aware version of myself, something magical is happening. And I can say, honestly, there were definitely a couple of times last night at the hollow where um, I totally got caught up in the moment. And so and that's what I go for. Um, yeah. So there you go. All right. Hey, look, we've got, uh, we've got this whole episode here and you don't need to hear me waxing poetic about my own feelings. Psh, what is this? <laughs> the WTF podcast? It totally is. All right, here we go. And in three, two, one, it's going to be John Schnitzer and Haunters. Three, two, one. Are you joking? I'm like, no. He's like, I put on a haunted house in a war zone. He's like, are you kidding? He takes out his phone and starts showing me pictures I had to film him. We filmed him. We did a whole talk, and we had to get all his government clearance, and it's hot in a war zone. We've started rolling because that's one of the best ways to do this sort of ambush podcast thing. And that's a great. <laughs> that's a great stumble in right there. Uh, so the listeners, I'm going to do a cold open so they'll know who's going to be on the show today. Uh, but uh, why don't we start, John? Let's start with you so you can identify yourself. I'm John Schnitzer. I was just ambushed. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the director of. I'm the director and producer of, of Honors the Movie. Also joining us uh, on the podcast today, as I probably told you, is, uh, is my housemate, Priscilla Spencer. Say hello, hello Priscilla. I'm Priscilla. And uh, she, she's on because she's actually been to... Okay, everyone who listens to the podcast knows this. Like, I haven't really done real haunted houses. I did the alone experience. I know John's going to be like, what? I did the alone experience a couple of days ago. No, yesterday. Yesterday. I just did it yesterday. Wow. Felt, felt like longer. Um, but I am the immersive theater guy, and I track all of this. Uh, but Priscilla's been to Blackout, which is uh, yeah, last couple years. You know, one of the most notorious ones of all. So, I have opinions. Yeah, she has opinions, <laughs> uh, which is good. But she did go back. She she went back. So she's been twice. So it's like you know she's she's in for a penny, in for a pound. But John, let's start off. Uh, tell us about tell us about Honders. This is our Halloween episode, and like the the no pro crowd. So you know, it's like it's everyone from like the themed entertainment cats, the people actually make the stuff, to the the Disney maniacs, to the Haunted House kids and the Escape Room kids, and then the uh, the, the, the snooty, snooty, that's my side of it, uh, the uh, immersive theater weirdos, doing stuff like Sleep No More and, and weirder, stranger, small things. But all of us are on this wacky ship together because we're all playing like right in the minds of people. So tell me, tell us about Haunters. Tell us like what you set out to do, because it sounds great. Okay, well, I, I just love Haunted Houses. My birthday's in October. Actually, this is my birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! Thank you. Mine's uh, at the end of the week. So, <laughs> so happy birthday. We'll compare ages later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I just every year for October for my birthday, it's I've got to go to a bunch of haunted houses. Mm. So my friends would go with me, even friends of mine who hate 
haunted houses so you get to see people break down and cry and <laughs> I would hold them like you're gonna be okay but I get really scared in haunted houses like I can get scared in boob scare mazes I've, I've fallen to the ground screaming at, at, at many haunts it's embarrassing people even now are like really shocked and they go to Universal with me and someone jumps out like I went to an Alice Cooper maze there. A guy jumped out with a baby doll. It was a baby <laughs> doll. And the baby doll came at me. I fell to the floor screaming. And then I start laughing hysterically. I laugh as much as I scream. And sometimes I laugh so hard I start crying. Because I cannot believe how much I scream going to haunted houses. And for me, it's like, how often do grown adults get to scream their heads off in public, get to run away and play make-believe in public mm. or in alone, get covered in all kinds of weird garbage. You're getting covered in stuff. People are painting your face. You're rolling around in weird stuff and you walk out like a child because a child, when a child plays, they let their imagination go wild and they don't care how they look. Yeah. They don't care how mm -hmm. they act. They don't care how the people look at them. Yeah. Haunted attractions are meant for us to scream and laugh and feel like kids again. And that's my favorite thing. And I started noticing haunts have evolved and escalated into different things. Yeah. And I was so surprised because I've just been, once I heard about, about Blackout and the first time I went to Delusion and I started going, wait a minute. So there's traditional, traditional haunts like, you know, the Haunted Mansion, like a little dark ride or a home haunt. But then there's something that's more interactive, you know, like Delusion. It's an interactive haunted house play or Sleep No More while you're, mm -hmm. you're looking for the, the story. You're off on a journey. But then there's extreme haunts. Mm -hmm. And these haunts are so extreme that there's even one, there's even one that's more extreme than Blackout. And mm -hmm. I filmed them. And uh, I will just say that some are so extreme that I have been genuinely, truly shocked I mean, I, I, I threw up while filming in one of the hunts. I, Ooh, couldn't, I couldn't believe what I saw. Um, but the idea is, it's really about the escalation of the traditional haunted house for Halloween into these extreme attractions and how we got there. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I got some great interviews and I even filmed an amazing scare study in the basement of a haunted house uh, with a neuroscientist and a sociologist that were scanning people's brains before and after going through a very extreme haunt. That's so cool. And you got to see how the brain activity changed for oh, the wow. people. And then we got to see how the brain activity changed for the scare actors. All oh. of this kind of blew my mind. And I started going, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this, which, which haunt was that that you did that? That is at the scare house basement. And that is, that is a study put on by the University of Pittsburgh. It's an official study. Um, there's, there's about two books and one study that's going to come out from this. One of the books I think is out right now um, called Scream uh, by Margie Kerr. She's a sociologist. Can I, can I make a guess here? Just, just a wild guess. So they were, they were scanning the brains of both the participants and the scare, the haunt actors. Yeah. Were they finding the same areas being lit up in the brains of the actors and the, uh, and the participants after the participants went through? You know, it, there is a huge similarity. Interesting. Because yeah, there's yeah. a giant, there's a one of the um, one of the scare actors I interviewed, who I think is one of the greatest scare actors of all time, Shar uh, Mayer. She was, um, she's been a monster since she did a home hunt in 1974, and then she was also in the Hayride in the in the 70s. 
she worked at Not Scary Farm for 14 years mm. as a reoccurring character that had like a whole fan following called Smiley. And then she went on to do Delusion, Blackout, <laughs> Play Dead, wow. Play Dead, which was directed by Teller Penn and Teller for Todd Robbins. Oh. Oh. She can do, she is so incredible at scaring. She doesn't jump or run or scream. She becomes a monster. And I interviewed her about what is it like to scare people. And she goes, there is a connection between the monster and the human. And you can feel the energy of someone who's so afraid and they're coming towards you. And they want to be scared. They've been waiting for it all year. They need it. And as they're getting closer, I'm getting more excited. My hands start sweating. And I know their hands are probably sweating too. And as they're getting closer and I unleash it at the exact right time, they scream and I feel a feeling of exhilaration and I just feel so good and we're both emotionally connected. I'm their tormentor. They're screaming back at me and I know they're loving it at the same time. Oh, and it's wow. like I was like, oh my God, what, an, what a great way of putting this. Yeah. <laughs> and then the more I kept, exp- I mean, I filmed so many haunts that it's been... Well, how many haunts, let's talk about how many, how many have you gotten at this point? Okay, so many. I think I, I filmed about 30 haunts. I spent a lot of time, like a, a severe amount of time, on about, um, about five of them. Like a lot of time. Like right. Especially um, uh, like Delusion, Rotten Apple. Do you know Rotten Apple in Burbank? No. Rotten Apple 907 is one of my favorite home haunts. It is put on by the Meyer family. Hmm. They are... A real sweet family. They do. They sometimes get fifteen hundred people lining up to go to their haunt. Oh wow! And they can only take eight hundred people in. He started off as a birthday party for their daughter, and the amount of detail they did. One of the um, years I filmed them, you go into a room that's upside down. It's an upside down room, and there's a dining table, and there's people at the table, but the ceiling is caving in on you. And there are upside down people chasing after you, all around you. Like, they don't just do a normal home hunt. They did Wizard of Oz one year, and you went into the main room, and then a twister hit it, and it started spinning around and around and around until it opened up, and there's the yellow brick road. You know? So by upside down people, do you mean like people on like wires or like puppets? or? These are real people, and they made it look as though... They're running around on their hands with their feet in the air, but that was an illusion. But it looked so real that when they came, they were all frozen. Everyone assumed they were fake. And when they leapt into action, everyone, I mean, adults, kids, they just lose it. And they go screaming. But what's great about their haunt is it's been around for 25 years. So you have people that were going there since they were kids that are now bringing their kids to that haunt. So what, what was the moment... When you discovered um, that move into the extreme haunts, because I think we, we were all familiar with, like, even those of us who didn't go as kids, we were all familiar with the idea of both, first, like the home haunted, home haunt, and then, of course, there was that phenomenon, I think, in the 90s when there was the, uh, the haunt, which was like, you know, the ultra-conservative, like, we're going to show you what's like in a Planned Parenthood, you know, and like, this is where sinners go, like the church Hell haunts. houses. Hell houses, that's right, <laughs> right. hell houses. Yeah. So there was that thing, and I feel like after the hell house, there became 
much like the way like after the Clinton years, like America suddenly had a much different relationship with like talking about sex than we did beforehand. After the Hell Houses, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, a normal haunted house isn't enough. How about we do this blackout thing? Is that is that the story arc of how this evolved? Because that's what I see from the outside. You know, it's interesting. Um, I really this is this is, there's a lot of stories in this movie, and when you get to watch people, one of the things that's really fun to watch is is the, the relationships between a haunter and their spouse. Mm. You know, think about the amount of hours, the amount of money. I have one haunter who spent five hundred thousand dollars building his haunt. And he works multiple jobs, has never made any money off his hunt, does not make money off his hunt. And we follow those stories around, but I, will, I go right into the history. Because when we show you something that's really shocking, and there's some stuff that's really shocking, we can get into it, and then we stop it, and it's like, it was not always like this. Yeah. And then we go, we reset and go back to the Depression. In the Depression is when all the Universal Studios monster movies came out, all the major ones, Dracula, the Wolfman, and they, 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 they all came out during that time. And it's because we need it for escape. Sure, comedies and musicals do well too, but there's a special relationship with horror during tough times. Mm. It's because we can't, def- we're so afraid of what's going to happen to us. We're yeah. so afraid of the depression. We can't control what's going on, but we can kill the vampire. We can kill the wolf man. We can burn down the windmill. Yeah. And it's one of those things where there is a great sense of relief when you face your fears, especially when the fear is supernatural and it seems even worse than what's actually going on, but you can stop it. Yeah. I've always yeah. had a thing about like the different movie monsters or like whatever whatever monster is like, you know, predominant in the pop culture at the time being a reflection of what the era is. And like we've been stuck in a zombie mode for a very long time. Problems with the working class. Well problem, Problem, yeah, problems with consumerism and like yeah. all the stuff. And, and and it's been other things at the times, but thinking about this like just you know, the mortgage crisis and the return of the haunted house. Like, is that... Think of it this way. I started looking at the National Retail Federation to look at how much money Halloween and haunted houses were making. And I wanted to see when did it start spiking and start doing something different. So I'm looking at the numbers. (laughs) And one thing I started noticing was Halloween had its biggest year to that date was in 2001. Makes total right sense. Right after September oh, yeah. 11th. Yeah. Oh, I remember that Halloween. I interviewed um, some of the people from Knott's, from Knott's uh, Berry Farm, and they were they were so scared that no one was going to go. Like, who's going to want to go to Knott's Scary Farm after September 11th? Yeah. And that was the year they sold out. People flooded the gates. And 2001 was just a, a massive year for them. 2008 beat 2001 2008 financial meltdown yeah and it beat 2001 these could be coincidences 2012 beat those 2012 I was like what's special about 2012 what tragedies happened in 2012 it was the most amount of mass shootings in American history today that was the Colorado shooting that was Aurora yeah you got it and um, then I started looking at okay 2001 what was going on right after that, but with the war on terror? And you start looking at the war on terror, and you start looking at Abu Ghraib and Gitmo, and we started seeing images of torture everywhere. And it's not so soon after, it's like it, it, we, we have Saw, and we right. have Hostel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, believe uh, Saw came out in 2004. 
um, if I'm that correct. Seems, that seems right. And I can't remember. So they, they came out. Yeah. So like we, we've got all these images of, of what's going on, of what we're doing in the war on terror. And then we have images from Saw and Hostel, which, you know, Eli Roth has already said he was very much influenced to do Hostel because of the war on terror and because of what he saw coming out of Abu Ghraib and Gitmo. So we're seeing it in the news. We're using it in movies to escape the reality of it. If horror is a reflection of society, then haunts are kind of like that door that takes you into the mirror. Right. It's our mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland moment, right? Oh, yeah. And we always, when we watch a horror film, we always ask the question, you know, what would you do? What would you do if you were in the house with, with Freddy? What would you do if you are in the house with the Scream character? What would you do in the worst case scenario? And extreme haunts give you your answer. Every other haunt, there's a little interactive moment. There's always something fun to do. But an extreme haunt is, this is the worst case scenario. It's not going to get any worse than this in a simulation. Am I going to fall to the ground screaming a safe word? Or am I going to make it through? What am I going to learn about myself? So extreme haunts were, were born out of that. And Blackout, Blackout was really, that's the first. That's the first real extreme haunt. And it's the first one to have a safe word. That's the first to have you sign a waiver that wasn't a joke mm-hmm. waiver. It's the first where the performers were naked and they could touch you. And it was the first that ever waterboarded anyone. And when they announced, when people who went through said, I got waterboarded in there, that's when they started selling out. People wanted to experience that. So one of the fascinating parts of the documentary is I get to talk with people before and after they go through extreme haunts and sometimes film them during. And I ask them why they're there, and then I film them afterwards to see if they got out of it what they wanted to get out of it. Mm. And I film psychologists going through haunts. Uh, It's really kind of fascinating, but what's fascinating is there is an extreme haunt boom right now. There's a lot of them. Um, None of them seem to be regulated at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not at all. Not at all. I have questions about those waivers. I do. I do. Like, like how much, but like, that's for later. But but also, like, but the most extreme haunt, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, the most extreme haunt of all time is McKamey Manor. Yeah. So McKamey Manor is in my movie. Yeah. And that is the most extreme. And they don't even charge for McKamey, right? It's just like, it's like an eight-hour ordeal. Like if you can get through it, congratulations! And like you get, you pay with four cans of dog food or two bags of dog food. It all goes to a, a charity, a Greyhound Rescue charity. Oh wow! Nice. Then the rest of the time, it's just really physical. It's it goes on for hours, and you, there is no safe word. There is no way to get out if you want to get out. Oh really? Yes, and people. He Skypes with people beforehand. I filmed him Skyping with a number of people. And people fly in from around the world. Someone just recently flew in um, from Kuwait. And this was her second time going. She's an American contract worker. She works in Kuwait supporting the troops. And she comes into town every October to hit up all the haunts because she said the worst part about the Middle East... They don't celebrate Halloween, and there are no haunted houses. <laughs> <laughs> and I have her on camera saying that, and I, I, that is always the part that kills me because that's, that's the worst part. Yeah. But she comes out here, and she went to McKinney Manor um, last year, and she just went to it again this year, and she has been traveling to all the extreme haunts. It's, it's for a certain kind of person that's looking for a certain kind of thrill. Yeah. 
And I know it's not for me. I know it is not for me because I see that and I get really freaked out. It yeah. really scares me. I've seen the images of like the, the buzzsaw thing and like, like I don't know if they always do, but like, you know, like we're going to run like a buzzsaw towards your face. And I'm just like, that's like exactly that. No, that just doesn't do it for me in, in a sense of like, I would just be like, I'm going to hunt you all down later and I'm going to make <laughs> you suffer for this. The thing that's you interesting know? about making manner is like the amount of attention and detail that he put into his own sets and he built it pretty much by himself. And I filmed him building it. And when you go into his morgue set and you touch anything in that room, it's all steel. It's real. Everything you touch feels real. Every smell in every room smells real because he goes out and buys these scents that they make for a rotting corpse smell to put on the dead bodies and stuff. If he didn't have anyone even jump out at you, if all he did was walk through, it would terrify you. Wow. It's so scary and feels so real. And he has robots that I've seen in the pro haunts. And I looked them up in catalogs. I'm like, how much does this robot cost? Okay, that robot costs about $10,000. There is a robot like that in almost every single room of his whole place. And it goes on and on and on. It's like the fact that it can go on for eight hours is amazing. What's interesting is it's every weekend of the year. It's yeah. not just in Halloween. He does it during Christmas. Is all the time. Yeah. So the neighbors are hearing people screaming for help. Okay. <laughs> they must really love him. Um, let's let's roll back. Let's talk about Blackout because it was the first one. And, and Priscilla, you've been to Blackout, mm-hmm. and so you know, be our guinea pig here. And Excellent. and what what drove you to to seek out Blackout in the first? How did you find out about it? Why'd you go? And then I'd love to I'd love to hear you pepper her with questions as you know all this stuff. So uh, so I belong to this group called Mindshare where um, it's kind of a salon style uh, gathering of curious, weird people. Um, And they they used to have these monthly gatherings um, uh, where they would invite some fascinating person to speak. Uh, It's kind of like TED Talks with more booze, I think is how they build themselves. And uh, they had this big, like, Anniversary is the wrong wrong word, but it was the 50th event that Mindshare had done. And so they had this like massive blowout, three-day extravaganza. Um, and one of the people that came to speak about it uh, were the, the guys that did Blackout. And uh, just from the description, just the... the um, the intelligent way that they approached haunted houses and the very sort of, the very psychological bent that they brought to it just sounded so intriguing. And um, I mean, they, they'd already done the 2012 one and took to extreme success. And so for 2013, I knew that I had to go. And um, I, mean, I, I hear everywhere that that like 2012 was the best. Like, and th- those that went to that found 2013 and especially 2014 very disappointing. I thought 2013 was awesome. Um, I mean, I'm. I am not the most worldly person. I, I went to a school called Miss Ela Hockaday's School for Girls. Uh, mm. Our mascot is the Killer Daisy, and our crest had a unicorn on it. So <laughs> that is my upbringing. Priscilla, was this part of the the Hogwarts school district by any chance? Because it really sounds like it might be. There's a statute of limitations on, 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 on speaking things to muggles. So, um, yeah, so, so, this explains a lot. So we'll I've lived later. the first 18 years of my life in a bubble. And so uh, I, again, found this just absolutely uh, riveting. And um, it took a very kind of serial killery um, uh, approach to, to this type of haunt. Um, 
the first thing that they had us do was um, they like sprint through this completely pitch black maze um, and that ended with like, the most enormous man that I have ever seen. Like I swear he was 6'2 and like 400 pounds. And um, there, was, uh, there was rain coming down on us. Uh, and this guy had, uh, had me kneel for, for what felt like a good five minutes, just like kneeling in front of him, um, like uh, hands behind my back, just uh, in this like four inches of freezing cold water. And I mean, I actually feel myself getting chills just remembering it. Um, uh, it really harkens back to what you were saying earlier about um, like what would you do in a certain situation and just kind of giving yourself over to that experience, like yeah. letting go of the ego that says I'm in a safe place, like this is just an actor, just like if you were in this situation, how would you handle it? That's that's interesting. I'll pause it for a second because to go up into that head, psychological headspace because mm -hmm. it, you know, we talk in theater about you know catharsis, right? You know, and like and in horror too. Like horror is really great for catharsis. We're just going to get that out. But there's this there's this other thing about surrender, mm -hmm. you know, and and there's a there's a strength, you know. I'll talk about diets for a second. Like the most effective. I find that diet's the most effective when I just surrender to the process, right? Like when I'm surrender, or like when it's writing or something, you something where you just go like, I got to give myself over to this thing that's bigger than me and stop getting in the, me getting in the way of the thing. So you talking about like being there like in the four inches of water and it running down on you and you just having to give yourself over. Like it, it feels like it ties into like that experience, which is something I think as Americans in particular, we're not good at letting go. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're not good at putting the blast shield down and just feeling the force. There might have been a trailer that came out that you might have watched right before this, guys. I apologize if we're extra giddy. Uh, you know, we <laughs> we don't do that, and we need to be reminded of that all the time. So sorry, that's that's my my footnote in in real time. Yes, and also just because like I I am an aspiring writer, and so I just wanted to take in the complete sensory experience. Like, if I had a character in this situation, like, what would she be smelling? What, what would she be hearing? Like, what are all the feelings that she would be experiencing? I wanted to catalog that as, as uh, thoroughly as possible. John, is that how people talk? I mean, like, Priscilla's a creative, so she's, she's looking at it that way. And, like, and I know that when I'm in, like, an immersive theater thing, I'll maybe run that way, too, or, like, rely on the old LARP instincts. Like, do... do yeah, I just said the, the magic word of making him laugh, right? Uh, we nerded out hard earlier, guys, so don't worry, we're in a safe space. Uh, but, but there are no safe words. Um, the... Um, sorry. I'm, I'm okay, so when people so, yeah, leave... When, when people, people leave, leave, do they talk about character? Do they talk about that kind of... Is you this know, typical, or...? You know what's funny is the range of reactions that you get when someone gets out of an extreme hospital, especially blackout. One of my favorite things to do is to film people as they, as they came out, just as they came out. Because some people, when they come out, they cannot talk. They run away, and they wave their friends away who've been waiting for them, and they have to just be alone for a moment. Mm. And they're sitting there, and they're breathing and catching them. They're catching their breath. And they tell you later on, it's almost because I've been yelled at so much, I've been running so much. It's not just that you're running or that you're going from running to kneeling. Is that people are grabbing you and you're in situations that feel like you're like maybe I'm in danger right now. Maybe I'm in danger right now, and your, your, your primal instincts are are kicking in. They do a very good job of having you run immediately. Your heart rate mm -hmm. is going immediately. But before you run, what are you doing? You're standing and waiting in a dark room for a very long time. So people are already terrified. Some people 
yell the safe word, the second they say, go up the stairs. No, I'm not, safety. <laughs> they want to get out immediately. They're done because they just get so scared. I met those people and they are so disappointed in themselves. They're just out there just like hitting their head. It's like, what's wrong with me? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. But I filmed other people. I filmed one guy who was really interesting. He is a, um, uh, a college student and in a fraternity. And he came out. He... He got very drunk before he went in because he was really nervous. Yeah. And he came out and he said, wow. He kept shaking his head. And I was like, but what happened? Did you, did you fight back? What did you do? He's like, no, no, no. I just want to go home and take a shower. But like, but put myself like in a ball, hold myself in a ball in the shower and really hold myself. Like I really... I really, really shaken up, but man, I would love to take the pledges through this. They would love this kind of thing. <laughs> and then I filmed another guy saying, you know, I, w- I did things in there that would get me arrested. I did things in there that would end my marriage, and I got to do it all in blackout. And he was so excited about it. And that- I worry about that guy. We need to yeah. track him down. <laughs> Wait, you see the footage. Yeah. But what was interesting was. I've seen that in your teaser, by the way. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> But hearing about the hazing was what was really interesting to me because yeah. it made me ask a question too. Like, what's the difference between an extreme haunt and bullying? Or what's the difference between an extreme haunt and hazing? And what was it for you? That's kind of the difference between Blackout 2013 and Blackout 2014. Blackout 2014, I mean, I'm trying to still trying to figure out a year later like what exactly they were trying to, like, to tap into. Um, and, I mean, it feels just... It felt like they maybe had the idea of like the Stanford prison experiments, uh, where they had like uh, normal people torturing other people essentially because some authority told them to. Like that, that's the, the most psychological I, I can bring it to. But it, it just felt like mean as opposed to tapping into deep fears. Here's a question too: Like, did you um, did you ever say the safe word during that period? No. Now, I paid $65. I was not being able to say it. Was it really a financial reason? Was it really? Because like, here's the thing. If you feel like, honestly, if you honestly felt like you were being tortured at some point, like, was it, did you ever feel like you were truly being tortured? 2014, yes. Now, you didn't call the safe word. Because I wanted to, I wanted to get my money's worth. Like, I, I, I wanted there to be something That's that ultimate was American awesome. consumerism <laughs> at its best. Oh I God. want my money's worth. This but, meal tastes no. awful. And there's not enough of it. That's like the greatest, that's the greatest thing. I wanted one thing in 2014 to match up to anything that I saw in 2013. I, yeah. I, I believed that there was going to be something at the end of the tunnel that was, was that, made it, yeah. that made worth going through all that torture worthwhile. Yeah. Well, and, and it's almost like, the, the, you know, it's like, why did we all go through, why did we all walk out in the middle of episode one, right? You're like, <laughs> this is gonna get good, guys. Why did we go back for episode two? Look, at some point, it's gotta get good. Because because they've earned like if I imagine if it was your first year you might have just tapped out and been like all like yeah. fuck this this is bullshit I'm going but they had earned your trust and that's the thing like what's beautiful about any storyteller in any of these forms particularly the physical forms once they've got your trust then your trust is something that's plastic they can play mm-hmm. with and that's where the mastery and the virtuosity of it comes here's in here's a right? question too did you has there ever been a moment where you've had kind of a flashback about it where you ever like Maybe in the shower, and then you, you felt you felt something, or like, what, what did what? Tell me. This is kind of TMI, but um, the, the the torture in question is um, 
that like they basically like bent me over this toilet and they like spanked me for like five minutes and ridiculously hard. Like this was this was not no half seas here, and and that is not my kink. That is like my polar opposite of a kink. It, it's not triggery for me or anything. Just like someone spanks me, I'm out. Like nope, sorry. The store is closed. And they're, the store is closed. Yeah, but, and, they're, and they're not able to get, like, you, you told me that, that what, why they went so long. You said that they told you. Yeah, they, they told me that, that like, I needed to scream loudly enough. And, and I was screaming pretty darn loud. And, yeah. and I have, I was a singer. Like, I, I can project. And they kept telling me I'm not singing. Yeah. Blah. Well, and the thing and, is, and I only found out uh, when I was actually, like, looking at reading old Yelp reviews and, and trying to find, trying to remember all of the various details of the things, because some of the details had just escaped my memory from time. But it turns out they were not actors that were spanking me. Those were other participants. And that makes me even more angry. Oh. So, like, I guess there's one thing, like, okay, I'm trusting an actor to, to like, the actor is, is being, again, told by someone in authority that they need to do this. I don't know. You know, it, it just I, I, made I'm it not worse. sure about that. I mean, because people say in Yelp reviews, a lot of things mm-hmm. are happening. Um, they've actually blackouts had a number of lawsuits against them. Huh. Every single lawsuit was dismissed because they have night vision cameras in every single room, set up in a variety of angles, and they don't have it there for any other reason than to just show when someone is questioning them as mm-hmm. to what happened to them. They push play, and after they see it, it's like. Okay, it's not exactly how that happened, and they definitely want you to to believe certain things are happening that definitely are not happening. There mm-hmm. are some things that they do that I mean, there are people who have made a lot of accusations. But when you think about it, your heart rate's going. You're you are scared because you're running around and it's already built up. The name blackout and everything that it comes with, and you've heard about rape scenarios in there and mm-hmm. about waterboarding and about this thing with a tampon and there's a whole lot of things that you keep hearing about over over time so your mind is already going into strange places and it's dark and things are happening so you start connecting dots that might not be there like when you mm-hmm. you might see a face in, in, in your room and you shine your cell phone light and it's not there you know mm-hmm. that's how, how that could be but at the same time I don't, it doesn't sound like something that they would do to me mm-hmm. okay. because I spent a lot of time with Josh uh, Randall and one thing that's really interesting about the Blackout guys is their background. You know, I don't know if you know their background. Just, it, just for clarity, when you said sounds like something they wouldn't do, meaning put normal participants in that position. I don't think they would have a guest. Administering that kind and of Doing experience. that. Okay. Because okay. you don't know who the guest is. Right. Yeah. And, and the question for you is, did you spank someone? No. So that's the thing. It's like, there... If that were to work, then that means that you would then cycle through, and then the next person would be there, and then you would then spank that person. Otherwise, mm-hmm. what guests are they getting? So, someone standing outside? Someone who's loitering in the lobby? And one of the Yelp reviewers claimed to have spanked someone. You know so, what? You never again. know um, what who's rev- reviewing these things. I, I've, I've seen a number of Yelp reviews. Um, I, someone said at uh, Gates of Hell, someone bit their face. And I, I can't believe that that's true. Especially with Blackout. With Blackout, they have a theater background. They were off-Broadway for 20 years doing uh, Chekhov, Shakespeare, 
and Materlink. When he said Materlink, I was like, I'm like, okay, this guy is a theater geek. No one says Materlink. And I, everyone's like, you should probably cut that one line out. No, I'm like, no, no. Materlink is like, that's <laughs> the stamp of approval. That's official theater geek. That's, that's serious. Serious stuff. Yeah. And he, they were having trouble, you know, surviving. You know, the rents in New York were going really mm-hmm. up on theaters. And they were like, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? And yeah. they said, you know what we'll do? We'll do a haunted house in the summertime. We'll get rid of everything that costs money. No costumes. The actors are naked. No sets. It's all black garbage bags everywhere. No lighting. <laughs> no nothing. And we're going to strip everything down. And the reason they have naked people is because once you see a naked person in front of you, you say, that's not fake. That's real. What are you about mm. to do to me? And they were also saying to the audience, fuck you. Fuck you, you want to go to my play? You're going to see it my way. You're going to crawl. You're going to beg. You're going to roll over. You're going to do all these things. And if you don't like it, call this fucking safe word and get the fuck out. Yeah. And they said the first time they started saying to their audience, fuck you, is when they started getting that long line. They went they showed up uh, after the first night they did it. They then showed up and they saw a line around the block and they said, what are you here to do? And they said, oh, we heard that there's this really weird haunted house. And they went, oh, my God. And since then, they've had blackout in L.A., Chicago, New York. Right now, it's in San Francisco. Yeah, the armory. Taking over the armory. Yeah. They never thought that they would have a career in haunted houses. But mm-hmm. what's fascinating is the haunted house community said, you're not a haunted house. Yeah. What you're doing is not a haunt. And that's what's fun in the movie is that we definitely have the traditional haunters and the extreme haunters and the interactive horror experience people and we show them at times saying you're not a haunt (laughs) this isn't a haunt this is a haunt or explaining why i mean a donald who um donald does a nightmare on loganberry it's a a terror maze in his mother's driveway i've known donald since the sixth grade i met him because I was reading Fangoria magazine, I was reading uh, a Hellraiser and a Freddy issue. I had two issues of Fangoria with me. And then we became best friends and we worked as monsters in uh, the elementary school haunted house. And we scared kids so bad, they broke through the cardboard walls to get away from us. <laughs> and we were like, this is the greatest, because we were the ones that were always picked on and always bullied. And we felt like unstoppable and awesome. And we thought it was so cool. And one thing he says about his mazes, he wants to scare you. He wants to terrify you. And without touching you, without ever touching you or making you feel like you're in real danger, he's like, but look, I've made people pee their pants. I've made people run out of my maze and run around the neighborhood screaming their head off. And it's just an illusion. It's just for fun. And now you have mazes that can touch you and can grab you. And then the question is, how far is too far? The nice thing about having a safe word is you can call the safe word. And you always have in the back of your mind that you can. So you also always have in the back of your mind that you, in a weird way, even at your most vulnerable times, you're still in control. Because at any moment, you can say the safe word and you're out. But when you have an extreme haunt where there is no safe word of any kind, even when you've been prepared and prepared and prepared, it has a different effect. You know what's interesting is like I did alone last night, which isn't isn't a haunt, right? I mean, it's it's a it's an, an existential, existential haunting, haunt, right? It's it's a different experience, but like on the waiver, it said you know you know you will have a safe word, blah blah blah, and like I wasn't given a safe word, and what it did for me, I was like, oh, nothing is gonna push me too far, 
Like I instantly was like, oh, if there's no safe word, I'm not really in trouble. They didn't tell you the safe word? They didn't tell me. They the have safe a safe word. word. Oh, they didn't tell me one. <laughs> <laughs> I asked for the safe word three times because I was getting so nervous before I went in. That's funny. The, I was like, I was like, no safe word. There was only one moment in it, and I won't say what, where I was sort of like all, huh. This could be a little bit of a weird situation. It had everything to do with what someone like prepped. It was a bit of a priming thing. Someone said something to me and I was like, oh, they're making me focus on this. All right. And for like, and then, then something physical happened and I was like surprised enough by that, that I was just, it just softened me up just enough to go, if they do something, if they, it was about my eyes. I was like, if they do something with my eyes or they go for my eyes, I will be like... No. And the main, my main thing, and it was my first time, because there were a few jump scares, was I just had to keep reminding myself not to strike back. You know, it's like <laughs> repress that, repress that, repress that urge, because I'm like, it's, it's just a poor actor on the other side of this. Like, but I could finally understand why people, like, at some haunts, like, wind up punching people. Not that mm-hmm. I think that they should, but, like, there's an instinct there. What I don't understand, I mean, I guess I understand, but can never viscerally understand, are the tales of people who, like, walk into another room and then come back and attack one of the actors. I've heard that kind of stuff oh, happening. That but if that's know. the thing that's interesting about a blackout and alone, it's rare that anyone ever strikes an actor there. Because when you're by yourself, mm. you act a lot differently than yeah. when if you're with a group of people. When yeah. you're with There's no performative aspect when you're by yourself. Exactly. When you're by yourself, you tend to laugh less, scream less, you're in the moment, and you, it's more of a quiet, bizarre feeling. I, I started using my echolocation clicks. So, like... <laughs> oh, my God! Right? So, like, I walk into the room, and I'm, go- and I'm going... Like that, you know? It's like... And, and I wondered how much I weirded out the performers. And it happened a little bit, like, about two-thirds of the way through. I bet you did. You know? And I'm like... Yeah, and then with my car today, I was practicing my, like, dinosaur sounds. So, like, I'm, like, totally ready for, like, my next, like, super dark haunt. It's like, I'm going to freak some people out because I'm going to think they're a little wrapped around this thing. But, I mean, and maybe some some of those fact of, like, I I never, oh, God, I admit, like, you know, it had gotten so built up. Like, people had talked. So, like, one of my friends is like, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. They paid for me. It's like, you must go, you must go, you must go. And, like, I don't know if Lawrence will, will hear this piece. I've met Lawrence. And, like, and I totally, I respected where their theme was and what they were doing. And there were a couple of moments I thought were beautiful and a couple of moments I thought were, like, really cool. Um, it never hit, and it wasn't like they were trying to go for a dread thing necessarily at all. And so that's fine. The, 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 the theme they went with happened to be an old neuroses of mine. So I was more, like, just charmed. I was like, oh, I'm not the only one who has this, you know, in their head. But, um... I mean, the, but, thing, yeah, the like, thing with Alone, though, yeah. it's so different from one that's really trying to terrify you. Yeah. Is that Alone is, what is it? Alone feels like, it feels like empathy. It's interesting. Yeah. There are many times throughout Alone where a character approaches you and the answer is to hug that character. Yeah. Someone starts crying and they, they, they put your hands on your head and then a crying character comes up to you. And nothing is happening, and I hugged that character, and that's what allowed me to continue on. And I thought, wait a minute, I was that's fa- kind of beautiful. Yeah. And then there's all their yeah. moments where you felt threatened, where it did feel you're crawling into some dark places, and it's, you're literally crawling, yeah. and it's really creepy, but in the back of your mind, you remember they had that moment of empathy where you had to show empathy to them, and I was wondering if that was going to come back to me. Mm. And it did in the most dreamlike way. Alone has 
takes certain influences also from where Blackout takes certain influences from. I mean, alone, they were big fans of Blackout. Yeah. They went to it. But they both, and a lot of people who are going to, for the real experimental immersive stuff, they seem to be very influenced by David Lynch. Yeah. David Lynch has such a great sense of humor. His, his comedy can come out of nowhere. And there were some definite moments in this year, I'm not going to give away, yeah. of great comedy. Um, but there's also moments, like in a David Lynch movie, where all of a sudden you take a turn and wait a minute. Yeah. This isn't safe. What's going to happen? I, I almost wanted it to go even farther in just like the weird zone. Because like the weird stuff they did, I loved. And like I almost didn't need like the, uh, the, the attempts to like you know, scare me. Like I kind of wanted to like fall deeper into the dream. Because there, there were really dreamlike moments in it. And, like, I just didn't want anything to, like, pull me out of that necessarily. Like, it's, there, was, there was stuff towards the end that, like, it had the right level of, like, sinisterness. And there was almost nothing happening, right? That was the beautiful thing. There was, like, almost zero was going on. It was just a lot of, like, eye contact with people. But the funny thing is, like, uh, a week ago I was at an immersive theater festival in, in, um, in La Jolla. And the listeners heard that one. And uh, there was a piece there called Oho which is by a theater company called Bricolage out of Pittsburgh. And in that one, that's a piece about blindness you ultimately find out you don't know until they take the blindfold off you but for about the first 30 minutes or so you're blindfolded and they're leading you around and they're creating these incredible mindscapes for you using sound and touch and smell they tell you you're in mumbai and it smells i mean it doesn't smell you know like you're like a marketplace where there's a bunch of like chicken poop or anything like that but like it smells delicious. It's like you can smell the Indian food. You can hear the sounds. It's warm even though it's night. And it's like your brain just starts to fill in all these details. And and in in a when you're in a blackout maze, not blackout, but when you're in a blackout maze, uh, and you're devoid of details, you are trying to like pick up on every every little thing. And there's just there's a plasticity there you can start to play with. Mm. And so having just had that one, like. It probably would have like affected me differently. It's like when I saw I saw like Florence and the Machine and I saw churches like over the weekend. And like one both were good concerts. One was amazing. I saw the amazing one first. So the next one's like all well, this was good. But it wasn't amazing. Sure. However, yeah. with alone, it also depends on how you explored the area too. Yeah. How long were you in there? I was in there for one hour. I was probably in there for an hour. I lost okay. all track of time. I, I always lose track okay. of time in these things which I love. And here's here's the thing too. If so you're gonna go to alone, it's not a spoiler, this is a helper. If you go to Alone, go to their website and look around. Look around for anything that might be kind of out of the normal for a website, yeah. for an attraction. Because that might be information that you're supposed to use. Yeah. When you're there, you might see things on a table. You might see things around the room while you're waiting. You're not just supposed to just sit there. They tell you to just sit there. But if you look around, you might see something that you can use when you're inside that takes you to different places than what everyone else goes to. Mm. There's certain hidden passageways. There's certain combinations that unlock certain doors that take you to certain places that reveal a different layer of story and a different layer of fantasy. And it goes a lot deeper and a lot, and they know, oh, this is someone who's looking for clues on our website. This is someone who ignored the rules and looked under the table over here and looked at this thing and then they went through and put the stuff in so now they're going to try to do something with you that's a bit more intense because they know you want it yeah. alone is what you make of it yeah. and that's, what I, that's one of the things I, I love about it it's yeah. like not they're not all like that they're not all like you know giving you all these easter eggs everywhere 
but I, f- they- I felt like because I knew they had done the sequence leading up. Like they did like three things leading up to, to this one. And I definitely came out feeling like, you know what, I would have gotten a lot more out of it, I bet, if I had been on the ride from the beginning. But I was just kind of happy to kind of jump in in what was like the last act. And without a doubt, if they do a sequence next year, like I'm going to start from the beginning so I can like have that level. I have like a, even though I'm always fascinated by things like ARGs I, I and, and have done stories on them and, and followed them, I have like a low attention span threshold for it. It's like, I, I already have enough weird universes in my head that like, like just sitting on the like, I'm going to solve the puzzle of this story. I'm like, oh, just, just let, let me get the cliff notes, you know, like let me go read the forum notes of like how this ARG comes together because I want, I want to, I want to know what's going on on the artistic level. Like I do. It's like, it's like you, like you wanted to know mm-hmm. what comes after getting spanked, you know, like there's got to be something else. And it just so happens that they were trying to get a reaction out of you that they weren't going to get, which is interesting to me. It's like, because it was, we're, we're, this is the true for the people who are doing the extreme haunts. It's true for the people who are doing the normal haunts where they don't want to touch people. It's true for people doing immersive theater stuff that we're playing with the, the participants, not just the audience, but the participants' expectations, their minds. We're, we're, we're in a conversation with them about what's going on with them and are they, are they reacting to this stuff? Are they giving uh, what it is you're looking for? And things break when you either don't account for something that they're going to do. Like, it just so happened that I was leaving alone last night and, like, you know, they told us, open any door you can open. And then, so, like, me and this other guy, we opened another door that let us back in. And actually, Lawrence had to be like, oh, no, 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 guys, guys, like, go out, go out, (laughs) right? And then we come back out. And the fun thing was, like, he and I didn't know if each other were actors. So, and that was the thing I liked the most. We're, like, we're making eye contact with people. And so I start playing with people because I'm like, I'm just going to act like I'm creepy to you. You know, like, maybe I am, maybe you're not. And then the actors are doing the same thing to me. It's like, maybe you are, maybe you're not. Who knows? That I loved. Um, and it's definitely like a little bit of make your own fun, but that's the thing. You either break it by you go through the door you're not supposed to go through, but like you're really not supposed to go to, something was unaccounted for, or the creators, oh, we want this reaction. We want this reaction. And when they don't get the reaction, they don't know what to do. Right? Like that. And that's, I think, feels what happened to you was like, it's like, oh, we need you to do this, but you didn't do this. But why didn't you do this? And that feels like that's a break in the design. Well, to me, you know, and I wasn't I wasn't in there, but with blackout, their big mission purposes, they don't it's not for you to be scared or for you to laugh at. It's for you to do either one, or the other, or all of those things, or to get out of it whatever you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They this is real, real experimental theater because it really is what are you gonna get out of it? Especially the off season haunts. Mm-hmm. When they do the off season blackout, I mean the off seasons much more aggressive and it's for people who look you're going not during the time of fall so you're obviously looking for something different and they've created scenarios where you had to you know get into bed yeah you had to turn the lights out and then you have to wait and then you have to wait for something to happen and you wait for a very long time and you know it's not five minutes it's longer and they want you to be so immersed into a situation that you might even doze off before something happens. I, I really do like that there's things out there right now that I'm too afraid to go through. Yeah. I love that. Because growing up, there was always like, if you go to that haunt, you're going to lose your mind. And I was the kid who just loved it. I had to go to every haunt. And every time I come out, I'm like, look, that was fun, but what's talking about? You know, and to watch as they've escalated 
even the home hunts too have gotten just so much better because of access to technology, but also the theme park haunts. I mean, we've gone from Not Scary Firm, which, you know, they started in 1973 as the first theme park haunt, you know, to where it is, you know, where it was in the 90s, where it was just amazing. That was like the, the, the late 80s, early 90s. That was it. You're in California. You're going to Knott's. If you don't go to Knott's, you're not having a great experience. That's like, that's the thing to go do. Yeah. And then Universal comes around and like, wait a minute, I can go through my favorite movies as a maze, I can go into American Werewolf in London, and John Landis uh, and Rick Baker were consultants on it. Wait a minute, what are you talking about? Slash has teamed up to do a maze because he goes every year and he's a huge fan. He's like, I want to score the music to a maze. I went through Slash's clown maze with Slash, and I was filming him, and he had so much fun. And there was another time where he's following around John Murdy, the haunter at Universal. And he's asking him questions, and he something squirted him. He goes, that squirts? It didn't squirt me last time. That's so cool. <laughs> like, and that slash. He's walking around with the 3D glasses on. He took his dark glasses off to put on 3D glasses. He's like, it's jumping out at me. His oh, big request was, nerd. look, wow. I, I, he wasn't looking for a paycheck. He wanted to make sure that one of the monsters in the maze was him. He wanted someone that looked like him, a clown that looked like Slash, to be in the maze. And he was so, he saw himself, and he was like, there I am. Like, it's so fun to see, like, right now, it's not just, not just a geek thing. There was yeah. a, and there was a time when the words geek and nerd were not as positive as they are right now. I, it blows my mind. Yeah. I kind of love it. I kind of like, wow, this is the real Revenge of the Nerds. <laughs> We've shifted oh, the we, line. We own, yeah, we, we, own, we own pop culture. Well, it, and, and, it's and beautifully, like, and everyone's, and, and you find out that everyone's got something. There's some little shard within them. That's 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 got that, and it glows and it radiates. And the idea of Slash, who like, I mean, Slash is like he. If you were a kid in the '80s, he was not Axel. Slash was the epitome of like sleazy rock god. You know, like he was scary, he was dangerous, and you did, you hated the fact that like he he got the girls because like, uh, but also, good God, could he play guitar? You know, like you so you had to hand it to him, and you have to wonder, was it the drugs that? gave him all the power. And the idea that he's just into, in a beautifully celebrity way, I just want someone to look like me to scare me. Right? I want my twisted reflection to, to be the thing I meet at the end of this maze. Which isn't that what we all want out of being scared? Yeah. I mean, look, right? Alice yeah. Cooper. Alice Cooper has done several mazes at Universal. And he loves going through them. He hangs out in them sometimes to scare people because he's like, I'm <laughs> Eli Roth. I think I might like hanging out in a haunt and scaring people. I got it. Oh, Maybe that's what I'm You know, into. it's a lot of fun to yeah. scare people in a haunt, but it's funny because not everyone can do it. Yeah. I mean, John Murdy, um, who's in charge of all the haunts at Universal, uh, he one year decided, you know, I'm going to dress up like a scare actor and I'm going to go scare some people. He goes, and I saw this little kid. I saw this little nine-year-old kid and I put my finger across my throat like I, and, and then I pointed at the kid like I'm going to kill you and the kid went you suck <laughs> and he's like this is, I didn't scare one person that night I realized this is not where my talents lie I can't do this I have great people that we hire to do this because it takes a certain kind of person to do it but what's funny, oh, too, goodness. is I talked to John Renan I'm like how did this start how did you get into this because he is like let's face it He's doing what most people in the haunted house world want to do. People who do a haunt and they're 
their driveway or their mother's driveway or grow up loving Halloween, wouldn't they love to take over Universal Studios and go, you know what we're going to do? I want to do an American World from London Maze. Can we get John Landis on the phone? And let's go do something. I asked him, like, how did it start? He goes, well, I did my first haunt when I was, when I was a kid in 19, um, 1977. And his first haunt was a Star Wars haunt. And he said, now the movie came out and all, but there were no costumes yet. Yeah, and so I think that year's famous for not having any merch. He had to make his own costumes. I said, do you have the pictures? He found oh, them. They were in the movie. God. He made the greatest Darth... I get, uh, uh, this is where I get chills. I get so excited. His Darth Vader costume was perfect. The lightsabers were incredible. It looked like... How old was he? He was, he was nine. Oh, oh, wow. Want to wait for this? I'll give it a second. Yeah. Don't worry. That's the, <clears throat> my documentary so much of like... Uh... <laughs> sometimes we did... The glory of podcast is you sometimes just go sure. out of hell. But like... So he was, so nine, he was years nine years old. He was nine years old. He did a Star Wars haunted house. And I'm looking at the costumes. The pictures of the costumes are incredible. Wow. And he was... He wanted to be... Like he had a, a Luke Skywalker because the guy just he looked like Luke. He had blonde hair, and it's the seventies too, so they kind of had they had the hair, and so you know they, they did. They, 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 he put on a karate outfit on to be Luke. It was like how many of us did that? That's so awesome. Oh yeah. And everybody. then he, he wanted to be a sand person, so he made like the perfect sand person costume. He made a C three PO costume that was unbelievably cool, and. Maybe cool is not the right word, but it was accurate. It was really accurate. Cool it was really cool. Right it yeah. was the right word. And every year, he would get more elaborate with his haunt. And his grandmother was the lead scare actor because okay. she loved to scare people. Oh, and she wow. would, when he'd come home from school, she would hide in the house. <laughs> and she would say, he'd walk in the house and go, Grandma, Grandma. And she's, he's like, she wouldn't say a word. Like he until he would open the closet, and then even after he opened the closet, move the clothes aside. Then she'd scream and run after him as a witch, and she would chase him out of the house into the street. She would chase the people in the haunt out of the haunt into the street. And he was talking about like one year his father's looking around and sees a line of four hundred people. You know, John Murdy has is doing a psycho scene with a real knife. His grandmother is chasing after people as dressed as a witch with an axe. And his dad says, we are going to get sued. I'm going to go to prison. I'm shutting you down. And he shut him down. And then he went professional the next year. And when he was 14, it was when he went He didn't get paid. But he got offered to do a hunt at a, um, at a mall. Because this professional guy that they hired didn't show up. And they, they pulled out a month before. And he took over an entire mall. And after that, he got bigger and bigger. Oh, wow. He's got, I mean, it's really interesting to hear everyone's stories because, like, John Braver, the creator of Delusion, he didn't grow up liking haunted houses. He didn't like them at all. He just thought, look, when you're done, you're not still scared. He's like, but when I'm done watching The Shining, I still feel something. When I'm done watching yeah. Aliens, I still feel something. Yeah. So his goal is every time he does Delusion to give you the feeling a little bit of The Shining, a little bit of Aliens, a little bit of action, and a little bit of real creep out suspense horror and delusion if you haven't been 
it's an interactive haunted house play where you are playing a part. Yeah. I'm and so looking for. I was so disappointed that they're not doing it this year. But they're going to be back in the spring, and they're going to be year round. Yep. It's going to. He he sure doesn't want me to call it this. I'm calling it Delusion Land. I'm so excited. I want a season pass. <laughs> I want to be there all the time because he creates these environments. He did it one year where you had magical powers. This was the greatest haunt experience ever because you're, you know. You're going inside, they tell you, look, welcome back. They're welcoming you back to this this kind of asylum that you used to be a patient at. And they're, you know, you know, it was tough. That doctor was really tough. We know, you know, all these things, but we all have something in common. We all have these magical powers. And if when something is coming towards us in a threatening way, if all of us put our hand out and really push our powers, we can do we can do anything. And there was a part where a guy is coming towards us, running at us with a meat cleaver. We all put out our hands at the same time, and we all screamed, and he went flying backwards. And the guy putting together the stunts, John Braver, well, he did the stunts for the last Indiana Jones movie. He did the stunts for Iron Man, Batman. This is like people, there's stunts that are so incredible. They're so much fun. They, he, he had one, one year where you, um, the Mask of Mortality, where you are split up like some people f- go down this one hallway some people go to another and then all of a sudden you're in an orphanage and someone's coming in and someone whispers hide and everyone that's in the room hides under a bed mm. now depending on which bed you're under you're getting a different perspective of what's going on in the scene where they don't know where you are except they might start walking towards one bed and lifting it up and it's the, such I was hiding under the bed one year you're, we're going up the stairs. The narrator opens up the to- this door in the long hallway with her, her, her telepathy. And the door opens up and you see an old lady in the bathtub and she goes, someone has to go down that hallway and get the key. And everyone looks at me because I hadn't done anything yet. And I'm like, oh my God. I'm walking down the hallway and I was, get- I was so scared. And I was having so much fun. I had the biggest smile on my face because I'm like, this is so awesome. Because there's a music too. They have an original score that goes to every single part. Yeah. And I'm walking in, and all of a sudden, as I'm getting closer, the music is getting more intense. I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect. Yeah. This is exactly like I'm in the movie. Yeah. And I'm walking, and I go up to this old lady, old lady in a bathtub full of blood, and I say, excuse me, I'm looking for a key. And the door behind me slammed shut. Oh no! <laughs> Someone grabbed me, put a knife to my throat, and it was a real knife, and I heard my friend scream and run down the stairs and run away. And this girl turns me around, and she's this demented little kid with weird cut marks all over her. And she goes, hi, how you doing? And I said, oh, why do, where's my friends? She goes, oh, I don't know. Maybe they're getting murdered. How, would you like to dress up grandma? I said, no. <laughs> I said, I'm looking for a key. She goes, how about you come to my bedroom? I'm going to tuck you in. I'm going to tell you a story. She tucks me into bed. And starts to have an argument with the voices in her head. And I can hear the voices too. This went on for a while. And it was so incredible because when it was all over, at the end, you end up talking to your friends. What happened to you when the door slammed shut? And when they tell you what happened to them, it gives you the chills. You're like, wait a minute. 
Maybe I wasn't scared during it because I was having so much fun. Yeah. But when it's over, that's when it starts to be scary. And you're a little kid around a campfire yeah. and you're telling each other stories. Well, and that's that, so cool. And, and the multiplicity of experience, right? Like it's so... It, it's one of the things that makes Sleep No More great. It's one of the things that makes Then She Fell, which is an, uh, another piece in New York, fantastic, is that no two people wind up having the exact same experience. So you come out of it and you start trading notes. Well, this happened there. Oh, and that happened there. Uh, and that allows you to carry on the storytelling process. You're exactly right. You're, you're a re- kids around a campfire and you're scaring each other. And, and you get to have a story yourself. You get to have an experience. Yeah. It, okay, it was a manufactured experience, but you got to have an experience. You're not just all sitting in a movie theater watching a movie. You're not all just yeah. having a, a passive experience. It's active. You're moving around. You're crawling around. You're climbing. And it's firing off your imagination the way it would do, when, again, when you were a kid. The way you would play and make-believe and fully immerse yourself in that in that situation, that backyard could be anything. You really did feel and see things in a way, and you felt so alive as a child. You laugh harder when you're a kid. You scream. You cry. I go to a restaurant. You see a little kid on the ground crying his head off, rocking back and forth, <laughs> screaming, "I want to go home! I want to go home!" I'm like, oh my god, I want to go home too. That kid. I, I wish I could do that. Like, I there are times I go to a restaurant. I'm just like, I just want to scream. I'm having a horrible day. <laughs> Things really suck. I really would love to, but you can't. But when you're going through these experiences, not yeah, only yeah. can you scream, you can cry, you can play. And when it's over, you just feel like the greatest relief and the greatest release. And you feel like a real high and so much energy. And you, it's the same way you feel when you first saw the original Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the same way you first feel when you saw aliens for the first time ever and you don't want to do anything other than talk to everyone who ever saw it and talk about how great it was and how it makes you feel and your mind is going off in all directions. And that's what's so exciting about these experiences. And when I see a documentary or something where they cover these things, they always make the creators look like these lovable losers. And I'm always kind of... Really offended, too, because yeah, mm-hmm. to do one of these experiences, which are not ever documented, they never document the guys who are doing delusion, the people who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars of attractions that are just in their backyard. I mean, McKamey Manor, he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on what's in his backyard. Theater groups putting things together. You not only have to be like a director, a writer, storyteller, a producer, P.T. Barnum, you also have to create the illusion of danger. Well, at the same time, it has to be safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and every year there are thousands of haunted houses all throughout America, and a lot of them do not come back for a second year. It's very competitive. It's really hard, and a lot of people who do this don't have don't have a head for business. Why are they doing it in the first place? It's all about imagination. I mean, you, you have. You know, Melissa uh, Carbone, who with the Haunted Hayride, look, she worked uh, for Clear Channel. She came from real corporate culture and understood how advertising worked. And she just loved hayrides and didn't know why there wasn't one in Los Angeles. And she had to do these great Halloween displays and people loved it. And she was like, how, how much money does Halloween make? How much money does this world make? And at that time, it was $6 billion dollars. And she looked at how many attractions 
were in Los Angeles paid attractions at that time. At that yeah. time, there were about three. Wow. It's changed a lot since then. When was the first Holiday Hayride here? The first Holiday Hayride was the, what was the early 2000s. Okay, yeah, that's what but I thought. you look around now, there are so many independent... We're ground zero. Oh, it's everywhere. Yeah. And Orange County's got some amazing stuff, too, right? Yeah, the, the 17th door in Tustin's getting a bunch of buzz. If you're a vegan, stay away. Yeah. I if you're a vegan, it's not for you. Yeah. It, look, there's like, yeah. Chopped like, up meat everywhere. Yeah, oh, they're, they're putting it on you. Corpses. They're putting it on you, too. Yeah. But like... There's also um, Motel Six Feet Under that's in Anaheim. There's also, uh, just in L.A., there's there's Creep L.A. Mm-hmm. And then one mile away, there's Sinner Soray. And the, they don't have anything in common with each other. Creep L.A. is really about how are we going to make the hairs in the back of your neck stand up, but without it being a blackout experience, without mm-hmm. it being aggressive. They're going to scare you with fantastic actors, doing incredible scenes, having you crawl and hide. And, and it's really eerie and really creepy. They do a good job of making you feel creeped out from the start. And a mile away is Sinner Saray, which is, you know, it's this, it's a, it's a traditional scare haunted house with a bar. And you're going around, there's like, there's devils coming after you, there's drop panels. And then you go off in this other area where you are, there's a whole cabaret going on. You're drinking, there's magicians, there's entertainers, there's a burlesque show, and it's, they give, they're putting Mardi Gras beads on you as you show up because it's a New Orleans feel. It's, what a cool experience. That I, and I, I did go, I went to Creep LA and I went one mile down and had a whole different experience. Yeah. And those are just two of the things that are in LA. I mean, if you go up to, uh, have you been to Reign of Terror? No. Reign of Terror. Uh, that usually is 73 rooms, but this year, it's 82 rooms. It's put on by Bruce Stanton. Bruce Stanton, this is not how he makes his living. He's in medical equipment sales. He does very well for himself. <laughs> and what does he do? He convinced uh, Jan's Marketplace. He said, you know what? Give me this entire space because, look, when people go to a haunt, they're going to want to also get something to eat, get something to drink. They're going to want to go to all the different places, and it's good for business. And it turns out it has been very good for all the businesses that surround it. So he gets a space that's year-round. So all throughout the year, every weekend, he works on it with a dedicated crew. They, they basically they charge enough so they can break even. But, I mean, you I think it's like... I think for a front-of-the-line pass, it's like $20 right, wow, right now. It's really, really yeah. And when you go through it, it's just as good as anything that you see in any theme park. It's massive. And in some cases, because you don't have to answer to anybody but Bruce, they actually do things that are way even more like above... Like last year, last year, I'm walking into a room, and I love... The old school haunts where you can step on a, you're stepping on a pad and you realize, okay, that's going to trigger something. I love that. I actually love when that happens. I like the old school push a button, something happens. So I'm walking in a room, my foot goes down, curtains open up from around me, and these flying robots come <laughs> flying at me with strobe lights everywhere. And I was like, this is so awesome. I go into the laundry room area, I stepped on something, and the laundry machines transformed into massive zombies that surrounded me, and they were huge. Every room has things that spray or smell or rotate or spin around. And at times when it's really busy, they'll hold, they'll stop everyone. 
to make sure that there are gaps so that you can actually have this experience without having a huge conga line of people in front of mm -hmm. you to give away all the scares. He really, really care about the experience. Oh, that's fantastic. And he even goes to all the different home haunts because um, what the, what's really cool about the haunt world is they, in November, they all take different dates in November and some dates in October for haunters nights where it's open to the haunters for free to come and experience it so they can all kind of compare notes and see what each other each other's doing. Last year he went to Rotten Apple and they had a clown maze. And they had an amazing clown maze. I mean, I've seen a million clown mazes, but this one really was kind of genius. And they didn't have a storage space for the walls and they wanted to do something totally different for this year. This year it's a giant Wild West theme. So right now they have a whole Wild West facade in front of their house. They said, I, we don't know what to do with this. And Bruce said, can I take it? And so you actually can go through some of Rotten Apple's clown maze when you go to Reign of Terror this year. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's there. And the facade is incredible. It's this giant fun house with one of those scary faces that the eyes are lighting up. You walk in. Rotten Apple is a thing where you're walking in and the floor started getting gushy and started feeling like it's melty. And wow. you go to touch the wall and the walls were wet. And then all of a sudden, electric shock started shooting out from the walls. They're convincing you that something's going wrong and you're about to get electrocuted. Oh, but wow. everything's fine. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it, that's the kind of stuff. But Rain of Terror, you should check it okay. out. Old that's school not, fun. Old school not, fun. That sounds like a blast. I have always wanted to do one of those old school ones. Hey, um, we're, we're a little over an hour here. Yeah. So we should we should go to the, the wrap-up mode. Uh, give us an update. You know, where's what's the status of the film? When's it coming out? And uh, I think you're like in another in like a post crowdfunding phase at the moment. So right, it's pitch time. Okay, so <laughs> uh, I had gone to Kickstarter last year. We did really well. Um, we we definitely last time I did a Kickstarter and it did really well. And then we've we've we moved forward and we kept filming. I. I I had filmed 100 hours of footage when I went to do Kickstarter, and I thought I was going to put it all into post. But what I started realizing was the stories were continuing and getting better, and they were having bigger payoffs, and I had to film them. And also, the haunt world was getting even more aggressive and more exciting, and I, I wanted to capture it. And that's when also when I found out about the scare study in Pittsburgh. That's when I found out about... Uh, haunt that has uh, in New Hampshire that has props that are four stories tall and they said yes you can come and spend time with us so I really wanted to just show the big differences so now I filmed over 220 hours of footage and that is a lot but in the documentary world you need a lot to get a little bit and I we, we actually did show the first 37 minutes at Scare LA which is the Halloween convention that happens in the summertime. There's haunted houses to go check out in the summertime. Yeah. And we showed the first 37 minutes. The reactions were incredible. And as I'm watching, I'm like, ooh, now I want to change this part, do this with that part, and change some more stuff. Be careful. You might get Lucas syndrome. <laughs> no, yeah, well, you know what? And, but, you know, I, I just I want this movie to be the movie that I get excited about. I want to be the movie that when I watch it, I have to tell someone about it. Or that I get to watch it, I get to watch it over and over and over again and love it just as much every time. I know what it is to anticipate a movie, to want to see something, to hope it's going to be awesome, and then it delivers and it blows your mind. But I also know when you're waiting for something for a long time and it sucks. It is the worst feeling ever. And I want to blow people's minds. Um, so basically what we're doing right now is we're doing a little bit more... Um, it's not necessarily crowdfunding. What I'm doing is we have... Uh, three different types of Haunters shirts. 
uh, for the movie. These are pretty awesome shirts, by the way. Like the the printing is like here. Feel it. It's incredible. Nice. This is like how they used to do the oh, prints. Oh yeah. It's like I've had a few of those. Yeah. These are like how old concert shirts used to be in the '90s when they didn't care about how much money they were spending on the ink. That's, yeah. that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing. Yeah. And the idea is this: you buy a shirt, it pre-orders your movie for when it comes out in 2016, and you get bonus features right now. Every week during the haunt season, I have been putting up more footage. Footage that's not going to be in the movie, or it's in the movie, but not quite like that. <laughs> a lot of little extra, it's kind of like little director's cuts moments. Nice. Some of it's with the Saska sisters, um, who did, I don't know if you've ever seen the American Mary or Dead Hooker in a Trunk, or Elevator, which is going to be their Extreme Haunt game show they're putting on with Blumhouse. It open, It starts October 21st on the Game Show Network. I'm so excited. Whoa. They're in this movie as, you know, haunt fans and haunt experts. I love them. And they shared something about growing up doing Halloween, and they made their own costumes from when they were eight years old to now. They gave me their pictures. And oh, it's a that's story fantastic. that's not even in the movie. But I put it together for the VIP club, and you can see it online right now. I, I like how, how you're doing because, like, I, I know a lot of films, a lot of creative projects on Kickstarter, you know, they wind up taking longer than you, th- you, you think they are. I have some friends who, like, you know, three years ago, like, funded something, and, like, their there's thing still hasn't come out yet, you know, and their day jobs making other people's films get in the way, right? That's a mm-hmm. common thing in this town. I really like how you structured this. Like, I'm someone who studied a lot of crowdfunding. Um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, this idea of not just going back to the well. I've seen people go back. To, I've seen people go back to the well and then go to Sundance, and so it works, right? Like they'll do a second Kickstarter round to like get the finishing funds they need. Like there's there's no dishonor in that. I do like what you've structured here. It's very you know second wave crowdfunding thinking. The idea of like you're you're opening the uh, giving a chance for people to jump on board mm-hmm. again to get you to the finish line, and by delivering actual items as you go, like actual content. I hate that word, but it sticks. By delivering the the shorts, let's call them shorts. By, yeah. By delivering the shorts, you're you're pushing this thing forward in a real way and and honing the storytelling as you go. It's it's been really a great experience. And anyone who gave to the Kickstarter, even people who just gave five dollars, they're in the VIP club. They get access to all the footage. Now, for everybody else that wants to get involved, sixty dollars gets you the shirt, pre-orders the movie, and you get to watch the bonus features. Uh, $95, all of that, plus you get the name and the end credits. And we've already been getting reviews, early reviews from the first 38 minutes of the movie, the LAist, Dread Central. We're getting amazing write-ups. It's on our website. You go to hauntersthemovie.com, and you'll see the, the, the reviews flying across. Uh, we already had Blumhouse over taking a look at the first act and um, then spending some time with me going to some haunts and... It, it was so much fun. Jason Blum's actually in the movie. Awesome. And what he has to say about haunting, and when I got to film the Purge uh, experience too, it was so much fun. But it, it, the, the challenge is getting, the, getting everything in the movie, but not just cramming things in because I have it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I well, really want to yes. yeah, well, and experience. That, and that's, that's why I like what you're doing with like the, the extras and starring the, the director's stuff now because it, it lets the movie have that focus and I, you know one of my favorite documentaries of all time wound up being The Corporation I don't know if you know The Corporation oh, yeah. right uh, it's there was a book called The Corporation where they, they treated a corporation as if it was a sociopath so like they oh, examine wow. that's the way they examine and there's two there's, there's more than one version of the film there's like the theatrical cut of the film and then there's like a 10 hour educational cut 
which is essentially a PBS special that goes on forever, right? And so that really digs down deep. And and this is sort of what we often thought all documentaries would be going forward when they were tackling a really big issue. It's like, we're going to give you the theatrical cut, and the theatrical cut's going to make you converse it and tell you a story, and you're going to feel like you know something. But if you're as big of a nerd for this stuff as the people making the thing, we have something else for you. Welcome to the next 20 hours of your life. Abby's a big and shit. So, like, yeah. did, you ever, did you ever see Indie Game the movie? I love those kids. I, I talked to them before they went to Sundance. Uh, uh, those, they're, those, those, those oh, look, two are Indie Game the movie, yeah. when I first saw that, I couldn't believe it. It's a, you know, it's a documentary about independent video game developers. That sounds like the most boring thing ever. And I'm not like this big gamer. I love Miss Pac-Man. I still I have a plug and play Miss Pac-Man. That is it. Yeah. Every other time, if I do a first person shooter, I'm the guy who's in the corner that can't get out of the corner. I suck at first person shooter games. I suck at most games, except for Miss Pac-Man. Anyways, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. I start watching it, and I'm getting inspired. Yeah. Strangely inspired emotional I'm getting choked up watching people develop these games and like this th- that super meat boy guy is so great Phil Fish he's he's hilarious he's also misunderstood but he's also a genius and he's also a jerk and he's also a human being yeah. and you get it all in it that movie they did yeah. so they did they did they went to Kickstarter yeah. before Kickstarter was they a big were the, deal. they were one of the first movies to like succeed and it was on the strength of that trailer they had that first trailer that they had which was about Edmund and it was just it made you want to cry and when I saw it at Sundance the year it came out I was it was one of the best movies I had ever seen about creativity exactly it's a really about the creative process yep. and I just loved the way that movie made me feel and I loved the movie and I watched it over and over again and I uh, oh, is it raining? In no, no. I was. I'm, my brain is kicking in. Okay. It's, it's Lizanne Peugeot and James Swirsky. Yeah, yeah, James, yeah. Well, yeah, Lizanne and James. Yeah. yeah. So James, I actually, I reached out to him. I emailed him and just told him, I really love this movie, and I'm going to try to do my own documentary. I'm really excited about it, and I've I've read the all the stuff they because they, they wrote a whole white paper about yeah. how they did the documentary. Oh yeah. But I had other questions that you know because. Talk about the meta. I'm just like, how, how did you record Phil Fish's voice in the convention scene? It looked as though you were pretty far away with a long lens. Did he have the microphone? It wasn't clipped on. Where was it? Because I don't even know how that works. Yeah. And they emailed me back, and they explained exactly where the microphone was placed and how they used tape and where they put it in the collar and how far it was and oh my God. everything that they used. They're the best. And I was like, you know what? That's so cool. Yeah. I then asked another question. And instead of them going, oh, man, this guy's – let's just ignore it. They – would then answer the question. And finally, they asked me, what's your movie about? And I'm telling about haunters and listing all the different haunted houses and the different creators and the different storylines. He was so supportive. He then went, you know what? You might want to consider even independent distribution. Let me get you in touch with VHX. And before VHX was really open to the public, they gave me the numbers and the email introduced us. Like, you've got to talk to this kid. This guy has has a great documentary coming up, and I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Well, what's interesting is I got to go to South by Southwest this year from the trailer of my movie, and I, which I can't believe. Um, my, my friend Ryan Pardano, um, he edited that with me. We were on it together, and it was like, 
I'm just, I love that trailer. Because we were cutting that trailer before we cut the movie. My feeling was, I want a trailer that gets me so excited that I want to see that movie. <laughs> and I want the movie to live up to the trailer. Mm-hmm. That's like how hardcore I am about, like, I want to live up to my own dream. Yeah, yeah. And we got to go to South by, and I go to the VHX party. And I meet all the people, and then I meet uh, one of the producers of the Russell Brand documentary that's out. Oh yeah, and I'm the the ones the one that uh, Andy did. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So then I'm, I'm talking with him, and he's asking me about my movie. I told him about it. Told him what the website link is. He goes, okay, and he goes off, uh, and he comes back. Four minutes and 30 seconds later, because that's the length of my trailer, it's long, he comes back and he's like, I just watched it. That's awesome. Where are you? Are you almost finished? I'm like, you know what? Honestly, my friend had to leave the project because he needed to really make a living. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I need to figure out what I'm doing. And he goes, I know a great editor who can jump on board with you. You need to get this finished. The interloper kids are pretty cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is really... Every, one thing led to another in such an interesting way. I mean, even the music. Like, yeah. I have two songs from Dead Man's Bones. Nice. And I don't know if you know Dead Man's Bones. It's Ryan Gosling and Zach Shields have a haunted house band from 2009. I love the music. And I'm just a huge fan. I was looking up. I wonder who does the music. Zach Shields and Ryan Gosling. I'm like, it must be like the other Ryan Gosling. The sad Ryan Gosling. The one who lives in his mother's basement. Ryan Gosling. No. no, it's Ryan Gosling. It's like... And at the time, it was a 2009, so it was The Notebook Ryan Gosling was doing a haunted house music. I love it, right? Yeah. And I, I'm like, man, I got to get this music. And a friend of mine, Monique Powell from Save Ferris, she, who I'm a huge, I grew up in Orange County, went to every ska show. I, I've known her since she was in Larry and the Ziggins. Um, I love it. So I'm at the party, and she introduces me. She says, this is Alexander Burke. And he's a musician. Like, you're a musician? Do you know anything about Dead Man's Bones? Like, I should have been doing that at a party. And he went... Yeah, I they recorded that at my place, and I actually played music on it. I was like, oh my god. And it turns out it's four streets away from where I live. And then he's like, I'll introduce you to them tomorrow. One thing led to another. Yeah. I got two songs from them. I'm listening to the music of Room 237, the soundtrack. I have a, I bought the soundtrack on vinyl because I, lo- I had to like just keep playing it over and over again. I'm like, this is so creepy. A friend of mine comes over. He goes, that's Jonathan Snipes. I'm like, yeah. He's like... I know him. Yeah. Next thing you know, he's at my place three hours later. I'm like, please do the music, do the original score, accompanied by Dead Man's Bones. And he's like, no, nah, I already did Room 237. You know, I'm, he doesn't need to do another horror documentary. I'm like, I understand that. Let me show you some of the footage. I show him the footage, and he goes, yeah, I want to do this. And next thing you know, he's getting me the sound guy from The Nightmare, because he's saying, you know, the screams that you're capturing, they're just, they're peaking, they're too loud. I get a guy capturing screams in the haunts that while people are screaming you could hear it perfectly and one thing kept leading to another and well, you all gotta of a sudden get it done get it done I, it, 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 we're getting done. there like right now I, ha- <laughs> I have a cut right now it's an hour 45 I want to get it down to an hour 30 hour 35 and we're getting it there and what's great is every pass that we're doing it's stronger it's better it's more emotional it's more exciting and it does what a haunted house is supposed to do you will at times, you're going to scream. At times, you're going to laugh hysterically. And at times, you're going to be completely creeped out. But by the end, you're going to, it's, going to, it's heartwarming and strangely inspiring. And I just love that we're opening the door to a subculture that even people who are into haunting or people who are not into haunting, you didn't realize it was this amazing. And that is a perfect note 
to end on for this, our Halloween special for, uh, for 2015. John, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Priscilla, thanks for writing Shotgun and bringing the experience. And uh, yeah, we'll do the sock out after this. All right, everybody, there's episode 25. There's your Halloween special. Again, I want to thank John for coming on the show. I want to thank Priscilla for sharing her dark memories of Blackout with us. You can find us at No Persinium on Twitter. You can find me at Noah J. Nelson on Twitter. Um, let's talk for 15 seconds about the Patreon. And this is the part of the show that I rarely do uh, because I forget because I'm a jerk. Uh, but I wanted to get clear with everybody this time. Um, the Patreon is the way that we keep this show running, the way we make it better. The next big milestone is $50 a month, and that's going to trigger, um, it's two months of that because we already bought the one microphone, two months of that, and we're going to be able to get Zay a microphone. He's got some really good interviews coming up, so I hope we can do that. Um, I just issued the Patreon transparency report on the podcast if you are a backer of the podcast you should be able to go view that at patreon right now it's a really simple document it's a screenshot of a spreadsheet and a few notes about what exactly it is that we are up to and doing on that note um i want to thank four of the patreon backers in particular right now i want to thank jeff leinenweber i want to thank abel horwitz jay bushman and marcy hume for being the big backers of the podcast. Uh, they're all coming in at the $5 or over level. And without you four, um, our numbers would be a lot softer and we wouldn't have the microphone we have right now. So uh, everybody contributes. Some people just contribute a little bit more and uh, they deserve an extra shout out. Everyone else gets another shout out soon enough. Um, there's plenty of great people. Um, all you guys are, I'm, I'm so thankful for everyone who's putting in anything at all like i always say even a dollar a month helps make this thing better all right enough of me shilling um because i'm not very good at it and i probably just offended everybody so hopefully they're not listening um hey um what's the next thing oh yeah uh like i mentioned before november 14th that's a saturday i'll be at hinge up in the bay area uh, if you are coming to it, if you're in the Bay Area that weekend and you're seeing the show, give me a shout out on Twitter. There's a lot in the works for 2016 and a lot of great episodes of this podcast, but even more amazing stuff we have under wraps at the moment that we're trying to bake. And I look forward to sharing that with you soon. And until that time, oh boy, here we go. Until that time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>